Welcome to the Western North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. Tim, we're back. Welcome back. It's been, it feels like it's been a long time. It does feel like a long time. It's amazing how once the season starts, like everything starts moving so quickly. It's hyperspeed, and yet we're only two games in. You would think, like, with the fan fan sentiment, I, I feel like we're well into the season, but it's really early days, so we've got a long way to go still. Yeah, and I know we're going to talk about this a little later, but like with uh, All or Nothing, which I'm going to watch as soon as we get through this podcast, because it comes out tonight, mm-hmm. it adds to that, that there's always something going on Arsenal related. Yeah, I've really, I've I've liked having All or Nothing to kind of give me a fix between the games because like as soon as these games are over it's like the next day i'm like okay it's time for the next one right let's go (laughs) like i'm really anxious to see see them get back out there already i mean isn't it nice when you're playing so well and then you're just excited for the next game like we got a little bit of that last season but right right now i'm just i just want to watch arsenal all the time and yeah it feels good i mean i i'm not even i'm not even gonna be mad when they eventually have a draw or a loss i'm just like i enjoy watching the process unfold on the field so it's like i i like just i'm here for it i'm here for all of it win or lose i just like really watch really like watching this team right now yeah i mean i'm gonna come out here and say we're never gonna lose again but that's just my eye on this invincibles too yes electric boogaloo but better (laughs) um yeah so what uh what what kind of drink do you have this week? Well, I have a uh non Bellingham beer, Whatcom County beer, which is a new one for me. And sorry, I have it in a koozie because it's way too hot. Uh, <laughs> it is Single Hill Brewing out in Yakima. And it's their Rain Shadow Black Lager. Comes in at about five point five percent. And black lagers are I know not necessarily your your cup of tea, but they're right up my alley. And let me crack this open. What makes it black? It's a darker. So basically you, you roast the malts dark, darker without trying to get necessarily the, uh, the smoky flavors of a porter. So it's going to be a lighter flavor profile with a darker color. Mm-hmm. And it's like, a, it's kind of been a trend for the last like eh, seven years. I know Georgetown had a great one, a, a great black lager. So it's yeah. on the scale, it's super light, super refreshing, but still has like a black color to it. So oh, there's still some roasty colors as I took my first sip of that. That Yeah, there's definitely some roasted malt flavor to it, but it's, it's super drinkable, fairly refreshing. And this is amazing. A single hill brewing. Yeah, you did it well. Single Hill. I've never heard of that, but there's there's um, quite a few Yakima breweries I haven't heard of because Bailbreaker takes all the attention. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I assume they don't have distribution out here. It's uh, my uh, lovely uh, person, my partner, uh, went out to Yakima the other day and uh, brought back a bunch of swag from Single Hill Brewing because that's where she met her friend. So nice. Yeah. Well, I, I'm pretty boring. I, I had to reach into the back of the fridge and, and pull out something uh, that was there because I didn't get a chance to go to the store this week. <laughs> um, so I'm just drinking my last 
My last can of space dust this week from yeah. Legion. My old standby. I feel like I, I more more often than not, this appears in my my fridge, and I don't even buy it. I just like <laughs> it's the one that gets left at my house more often than not. It's it's a good IPA. It's, it is a very solid good IPA. We can talk talk beer politics, which is not this part po- podcast. But as far <laughs> as like a good solid IPA from kind of Washington, maybe Colorado, is a uh, it's it's fine. Like I love it. It's a great beer. Yeah, I mean, it was probably partially created here in some capacity, and then made its way through Colorado before coming back to us. Yeah. I mean, the recipe is from Seattle and it's an original recipe from, from there, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a solid beer. I'm not going to take anything away from that. And as far as, yeah, and you know me, I'm not the biggest IPA fan. It's an IPA I I would drink all the time. So yeah, I've definitely got, had my ebbs and flows with it, but uh, I'm definitely due for something new. So it's a good thing. The fridge is pretty much empty. Yeah. It means you have to go to a, the store and get some good ones or go to a, a good local brewery and uh, pick up some more uh, IPAs. Yeah, I'm uh, I have to, there's a couple of spots that I, I know um, I need to try locally. So I need, I need to get, get some growler action going for the next episode. You're not too far away from uh, Hellbent and they have a couple good IPAs that are on tap. I, my buddy uh, who runs a tap room there is hanging out with him today and he brought me a couple uh they have a hazy, I'm forgetting the name, but the hazy there was spectacular. So, yeah. I do like Hellbent. It's on my way to and from work, usually. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's it holds a special place because that's where I first saw the Sounders win an MLS Cup. Exactly. I mean, actually, if you're uh, watching Sounders game, that's a great place to watch the game if you're in Seattle area. Yeah, so... I, they may have to be a stop on my way home one of these days. Yeah. And, uh, ask for uh, my friend David and tell him you're a friend of me and you'll, uh, get hooked up. There we go. Sold. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you have for your Timbit this week? Uh, well, since you did the, uh, the, uh, last week's episode solo, I was thinking about, and it was amazing. You did a great job. And I was thinking about solo performances of Arsenal. What was mm. your favorite solo performance of a player? I know it's a team game or whatever, but what what single solo performance stands out for you in your time watching Arsenal? Mm. I'm so bad about reaching into the memory banks on the fly. Um, <laughs> this is why I do it. I like to catch you on your uh, your uh, back foot, as it were. <laughs> oh, forever on the back foot. Um the single solo performance. I'm really trying to think of like one. I mean, it it, it would have to be an Henri performance because I I'm I'm just trying to think of what the the standout would be in my mind because there's so many so many times he just would take the team on his back and really take take over a game. Um, I it's not going to come to me. It's yeah. just not. It's I. I'm going to be honest. I. It, the harder I try, the further the further it goes from my brain. That's how it goes, right? I mean, do you have any Azul performances? Because like, as much as we have moved on from Azul, but he had some great single performances. 
gosh. Wait, you know that one, that one goal that he had um, where he kind of, I'm trying to think of who it was against, but he, you know, kind of chips it up in the air over the defender and then goes on to score the goal. Um, yeah. That's the one that would stand out for Ozil for me. Lots of information in that. I mean, I'm sure you can deduce what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm sorry. I mean, it's totally putting you on the spot. And like, I'm also notoriously bad for getting teams because like when I'm thinking about it, the the, the first one that I thought of was uh, Burkamp's performance against Newcastle, which was amazing. I don't remember the year, but he, he had an amazing game against Newcastle. And the other one is Arshavin, and I don't remember the team, but Arshavin, when he uh, scored the hat trick, I think it was his second game, first game when he came in and we were all super high on our Chauvin. Mm-hmm. And that was a, another amazing one that stuck out in my mind. Okay. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up because I found the goal I was thinking of. And so now I can actually describe it with some clarity. <laughs> God bless the internet. Yes. Thank goodness. Uh, it's, it's Europa league. It's Ludogratz. Mm-hmm. And he gets a perfect through ball, chips it over the keeper, past two sliding defenders, and scores a goal. Oh. It's, I mean, as far as solo efforts go, that was, that's pretty high up there. Uh, I mean, the uh, the regrets with Azul are so high and long because I love that player, and I wish it would have worked out for us. Yeah, I mean, it, you can't. I, I don't know. You can't predict where these things are going to go, but we've had way too many of these um, spectacular failures where it, it's just <laughs> it, it all all the dirty laundry is out there, and um, and we've just had to ask them to leave, and that's it's a yeah. shame, really. I was trying to think when when I first came up with this question. There's and maybe uh, if you're listening, you can uh, direct me to the game. Which uh, I remember a great game from Kleb, which is one of my favorite mistakes we've ever made. Is uh, Kleb? I love that player, and I remember a game. I want to say against Blackburn, but I'm probably a hundred percent wrong. Where he just like bossed the midfield and controlled the game. So, yeah. It, I, I my encyclopedic brain for like all of these different games and stuff it, it just does not work i have to have the internet to help assist me yeah the so, internet or our listeners that will horribly correct us and please do <laughs> yeah we need comment we need some some help here um well anyway we should uh get to these the the game because we were commenting before we started recording that when you when you break down all the things that happen in this game at least the big the big events there's quite a quite a bit going on i don't even know where to start with this game because like i i have a million points i want to bring up but i like how do we start with this game hmm well let's i guess we start at the beginning (laughs) let's go (laughs) chronologically um you know, I it, I think from the from our early stage, I wasn't sure what what sort of Leicester team we were going to see because they 
they came out in like the third minute and i think uh it was fofana had had a a run mm-hmm. and put a shot on goal pretty quickly and i was like uh oh this doesn't this doesn't seem good and then they settled and i i despite the scoreline i never felt like uh lester was really in this one no i mean like i i do feel feel like we dominated the game almost from kickoff obviously that uh third minute uh uh shot non with with standing and you know you know lester hasn't reinforced this entire window and you can tell if they're getting a little stale and as a, overall in the game as you said i wasn't worried like it, it felt good and we saw our players clicking so well so very well the uh the interplay just as an overall performance, I would say that it felt like the old Arsenal. It felt like the Arsenal I remember watching in the uh, in the nineties. You know, the uh, the best of uh, Arsene Wenger ball. We have so many good connections, uh, and I was, yeah, just super excited to watch the team play. Yeah, I think it was. It felt like a real continuation from where they were at in week one against crystal mm-hmm. palace it, it the fluidity of is there the the swapping of positions the anticipation of 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 the players and and i i don't it's not quite straight banger ball it, it's it's something slightly different and whatever it is i i'm here for it because it it, it is equally as entertaining and something new and exciting, and I think it it uh, it feels it feels like something people are buying into, and it's mm-hmm. not just the players; it's uh, the fans are are definitely on board with whatever's happening, and you get a sense that for the first time in a long time, there's some sense of confidence in in that things are going in the right direction, and it, it I guess it wouldn't take much to to get a boost. Uh, over last year where we were at this time, you know, it, it was <laughs> much, much worse. So to, to come into the season with two wins and, you know, sit, sit towards the top of the table with Man City above us, it, it feels like we're where we're supposed to be, at least for how we've played so far this season. And I, I think it's made it's made that much better by some of the failures that we're seeing from some of the other teams. <laughs> um, so it, 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 it feels like, um vindication from last year plus a little extra salt for the for some other teams wounds that were were the ones that are turning things around and have actually done the work and are are seeing the fruits of of the labor and the suffering over the last few seasons now we're actually seeing it pay off while the other teams are trying to figure those same issues out um it it, it feels feels pretty good and that's it's just such a change from how I felt about this team um, in the last few seasons where it's kind of, even even if there was positives to be excited about, I think there was always a feeling of trepidation, like the, the bottom would fall out at any point. And don't get me wrong, I'm still an Arsenal fan, so I know that, <laughs> that nothing, nothing is set in stone, but I, I definitely get that, I have that feeling of confidence that, that things are, are going in the right direction, whether... There, you know, I think there's always this, um, you know, lofty 
comparison to the Invincibles, but I think at this point it feels like something so different and so new from from that team and from that era that it it it's almost like they're writing a new chapter that's kind of themed on some of those same things that made make Arsenal Arsenal, but not it's not the same old same old stuff that we we got used to and bored of and frustrated with. Now it feels like things might take a different turn and that that's exciting for once. Yeah. And I know we, ha- we're going to probably spend a lot of time talking about Hazes uh, and spend some time. But one of the things that I loved and I feel like it started early on the game is seeing Jaka do the things that I've seen him and I've talked about this on the podcast before, the difference between Xhaka playing for the uh, Swiss national team and the way Xhaka has played for Arsenal. And you're seeing the Xhaka that I've seen in the Swiss national team start playing the way he is for Arsenal now. Like his runs from midfield are goddamn amazing. Like I, <laughs> like, I don't have a minute mark. I'm sorry. I should be a better podcaster and... uh make notes of this, but very early in the game, he made a uh, brilliant run and it missed the goal. His, uh, he was a header and it missed it so nearly. And he was making those runs all game long. And you're, it reminds you that Jaka isn't this player that I think we got used to of like making bad back pass, getting red cards. Like he is a player that can actually add to the offense and we're starting to see it. Yeah, I, we can, we'll, we'll get to his, his goal later in the game, but I, I am impressed with the performance that he has put in as well. And it's not, it, it is kind of unexpected because it is a totally different look, even though he's playing the same position essentially as we saw him playing kind of towards the end of last season where he was that in that free eight role playing opposite of, of Odegaard on the, on the left side, it, it, it looks a little more fluid. It looks like he's able to get free and be more involved further up the pitch. And that makes a huge difference in what's being asked of him. And I think a lot of that has to do with feeling um, like there's less of a defensive responsibility on him. Uh, you know, parties, parties kind of got the midfield locked down, and they're really defending as as a team. So you've got you've got uh, Zinchenko pushing up into the midfield. You've got uh, um, Ben White, who's playing on the right, been playing on the right hand side. He's been pushing up a little bit higher. And so they really help lock down that that midfield space and really take a lot of that responsibility off of Xhaka's shoulders. So it really does give him different opportunities than he's had for years with this team where he's really had to shoulder a lot of the defensive responsibilities. And I, I don't know that I knew he had this in him. I mean, like outside of his national team duties, I have not really seen this from him with Arsenal so it's it, it is refreshing to see a player like him who's been around for so long and kind of seen some pretty low times with the team and stuck it out and and now is getting a little bit of a resurgence I hope it continues for him 
Well, and the other thing is, I think even though he doesn't have the captain's armband, and I know there's a lot of uh, visceral feelings about him in the captaincy, and I may have a different opinion than a lot of people do about Jaka. During the opening team talk, when you watch the uh, the the, uh, the feed, you had Odegaard speaking a little bit, like they're all in that huddle. But then you had Jaka was the one that was actually keying up the team. And we've heard this in the the bubbles from uh, inside, which is that he is very much respected as a leader inside the clubhouse. And just seeing him take on this leadership role, and I think he's reveling in it. And it it's it's great to see him be able to do both the you know the the non playing side of being a captain without having the captain's armband and then going through and showing his quality it's it, it's great and we have him for a couple more years and I'm 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 very much back on the Jaka train right it's now am, it's amazing to me <clears throat> that he at 28 years old is like 3 or 4 years older than the majority of the team mhm like that's that's nuts and it you know he's he's acted like a a captain for years, so it's not like he is, um, new to being a leader. It's not like this is, uh, un uncharted territory for him. But he's, I think, not having the pressure of being a captain where he can just lead by example or you know say the things that are on his mind without the pressure of having to live up to a certain image, um. That makes a huge difference, I think. He's he's a leader without the shackles of responsibility as far as that, that captain role. So I think he he has gained a lot by releasing that to somebody else. And, and I think he can feel comfortable that Odegaard's going to do the things that he can't do and doesn't need to do anymore. So he you know he's covered there. He can really just be the type of player that he wants to be. Well, I mean, I think... Uh... It's funny because like the 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 whole idea of the captain's armband is way overrated in in English football soccer. It's uh, having that armband is a, a a weird thing. I I really do think Jaka is taking the role of being a captain without that armband because if he got that armband, the the fans may or may not revolt about that. But he's doing all the the other things. He was giving the team talk, as I said. Like we've read many reports of him in the the clubhouse as being the leader. Mm-hmm. So I think I I you know just watching how he he interacts and how he's playing. I think he's the default captain, and then you have Odegaard, who is the safe, clean, squeaky player that you can have the armband with that is not going to get a red card for yelling at the referee. Yeah, it's unfortunate that Jaka has this uh, reputation or uh, just just this red card thing that's followed him around because I think if you take that away, and I, I feel like he would have been forgiven and had moved on many times over for his transgressions as the captain if this red card thing hadn't kept kind of <laughs> coming up and, and reminding people why they didn't like him or why he was a problem for this team. Because if you take that out of the equation, he is a solid player and continues to put in hard shifts and it gets picked on the starting lineup by every coach he's had. So it's not like he's phoning it in at any point. So he, yeah. he's 
been a professional and has done really good work. He just happens to have this odd red card streak with Arsenal, and that's unfortunate that it's been such a theme in his career. Yeah, and it, and it is funny because it's with Arsenal specifically. If you again, if you watch him for the Swiss national team, it's a very different different player. And I think also that has to do with the referees and when you get a reputation and we all know about that, you know, that a player that they deem gets a lot of red cards is going to get more red cards. Like see David Luiz, like <laughs> I just think it's a, a fault of the uh, refereeing in some ways, but yeah, I hope to see less of that this season, but you know, it's bound to rear its, its ugly head at some point, but you know, they got the call, one of the calls right in this game, so we'll get to that soon yeah. so he can actually um, give praise where it's due. Well, speaking of praise where it's due, like the other player I want to talk about is Jesus. You want to praise Jesus? Yeah, I know. Uh, I have a, a good friend of mine up here who's a uh, Man City fan, and when we got uh, Jesus, he's like, every Sunday you're going to get to praise Jesus all the time because he's uh, up there and yeah how amazing is jesus i am very excited about what he's gonna do i think when we came into the season we had pretty pretty good inkling that he was going to be good based on what he was doing in the preseason but i i know he's got way more in him than what we've seen so far because the rest of the team's going to get adjust to what he can do. And mm. so far, he has shown that he can do quite a bit. He can make a, lo- a lot out of very little. So if you get the ball to him in the right spaces, he can he he can make something out of absolutely nothing and that was really shown quite well in the first goal because it he you know, it he works really well in tight space and he he's not afraid to just put a shot on on frame and this is this is a great example of what can happen and it's i I think there was some uh guess some guesses that it it hit off one of the defender's knees and that's why it it flew the way it did but you don't you don't score that goal if you don't shoot it so i i feel like that's whether he hit another player or not it's still a beautiful looking goal and again it's it's not a it's not a shot that people would normally attempt and and he just made made it look easy well i mean and you talk about players hitting the ground running and he's been in the league in the premier league for a couple of years now and again that that same uh man city fan he was talking he was trying to cast some uh shade and say like cool like you you're you're winning with our cast offs and i'm like it's not that he is a bad player jesus i think he didn't fit into man city's system and that's fair enough but it doesn't make him less of a world class player it's just he needed to find the system that works for him he knows this league and he obviously is hitting the ground goddamn running and you know I think the uh, the one asterisk I will say is he's playing for his spot in the Brazil national team right now mm-hmm. for the World Cup. Yeah. And once the World Cup ends and he's played all those games for Brazil, and I assume they're going to go deep Brazil, 
what happens on the other side of the World Cup should be interesting when he doesn't have the same motivation. Hopefully he will have that say uh, a distinct motivation but right now he is motivated he's willing to play and he is exceptionally talented and i think he is a player that we got even though we paid a decent amount of money we got on a steal yeah and i can i can understand if you know you're, you're comparing him to to holland and it's like okay well that's uh that's, that's a tough that's a tough comparison there different different styles of players and um i could have seen a scenario where he could have stayed at man city and played alongside him from the wing but what i'm really impressed with is how he has jumped back into that number nine role that he seemed to have been afraid of since his um poor showing at the last world cup for brazil and i think now that he has decided to embrace it and and accept the challenge of being the number one striker for Arsenal I think he has proven already that the 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 doubters and the people who said he couldn't be a striker were were way wrong and and really just he needed a chance with the right team and the right group of players around him and something clicked and it it's it's early days but I think we've never really seen a player come into this team and look so polished and ready to go as, as he has in this short amount of time. I mean, like it's, I I'm, I'm very loath. It's two games and I don't want to go over the top, but it, it does remind me of Henri. It reminds me of Bergkamp. It reminds me of these players that came in and, changed how Arsenal plays and their trajectory. And I don't want to go again over the top, but I'm, I'm so excited. And just in the last two games, like preseason, I watched him and I, like, I just take preseason with Graham and salt, but seeing him play two Premier League games and be that exciting to watch. I'm not, not worried about our frontline striker right now. Like this is exactly what we needed. And he addressed our, our biggest problem, especially since Obama Yang left. He, 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 he's there and his connection with Martinelli is amazing. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. You can't, it's like, you can't talk about, about him without bringing up Martinelli because I think he has raised his level. This season, yeah. I think Martinelli was already on that upward trajectory, but now that he has somebody to kind of play off of, and and has a good chemistry with, it's he he's stepping up to a new a new phase of his game as well. Yeah, it's it's that uh, and you know it, you can't underestimate the fact that there's two Brazilians on the 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 front line, and they're able to talk to each other, and I imagine in practice they're able to you know they might not be at BFFs ever or whatever, but they're able to communicate in a very strong way. And it's, it's, it's a force multiplier. It's something that if you're a Sounders fan, they talk about with Ladero. Uh, You add one player and he's able to raise the game of other players. And Jesus is that player for us right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's not just Martinelli that's, that's affected. Obviously everybody that's on the field is, is going to be looking for him and he opens up, 
areas for other players to work into. So I think as as you as we all kind of learn what he can do, um, I don't know that anybody was really since it is a different role, since it is him kind of getting back into his own, um, there's not a lot of tape. There's not a lot of reference points as far as what he is going to do with Arsenal. So I think it's going to take a while for other teams to figure out what to do with him. And by the time they do, it's probably going to mean putting a couple defenders on him or strategizing on how to shut him down. And all that's going to do is open things up for other players like Saka and Martinelli and Odegaard and, whoever else we have playing alongside him, those spaces will open up as, as defenders have to have to figure out how to stop him because he can do so much with such little space. They're going to have to try to push him to the wings and that's going to open up space in the middle. And, you know, it, it, as, as teams try to figure that out, it's going to force Arsenal um, to play a little bit differently. And we, we saw that quite a bit in years past where, you know, strategy starts to work and then other teams kind of figure out what we're doing. That's kind of the way it was with Lacazette when he was um, kind of taking over things on his own without Aubameyang. And then things kind of fell apart once teams figured out how to mark him out of games. I don't think that's going to be as easy with, with Jesus and really it's good with the other players rising rising up a little bit this season and, and looking a little bit better and more composed and um i think we can take advantage of what what he brings uh whether he's on the ball making something out of nothing or just doing all the work to draw defenders and and do all that off the ball work that that arteta loves so much well i mean i think i think it's great because last year we put so much pressure on our midfielders because our strikers just weren't working and it was like it this huge burden fell on Sokka and odegaard and uh smith Rowe and even pepe which i know we'll get into later but uh to have a player like jesus what it's going to mean is when they teams adjust to to jesus then Sokka is going to just have free reign to do Sokka things. And I, I know that a lot of people have been kind of, not a lot of people, but there are cer- certain people in the Arsenal fandom that have been disappointed with Sokka the last two games. And I think Sokka is doing dirty work right now to support Jesus. And once they start focusing on Jesus, he's going to just flourish and he's going to be scoring the goals and it's 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 going to be amazing yeah it's too soon to be down on any player we've scored six goals already this season and they've come from all different players i mean jesus only accounts for two of those (laughs) and so there's there's plenty of other other players getting in on this and i think it's um important not to get too uh crazy about any any particular player not living up to the hype because it's it's such early days and it not every player can score every game yeah and i i think uh we'll see a lot more from uh Sokka coming through and i i don't think he looked bad this game i think it's just like yeah, so much creativity was coming through the martinelli uh jesus side of things that you know obviously the when you start having that other parts of the field have to adjust to that. Yeah. 
it, it's it's only going to benefit this team having a player of his caliber and uh or, you know having a player like jesus raises the the standard for players like saka you know like even if they're not competing directly you're looking at players that are going to compete just because they want to win and want like that competition so you know you've got a guy that's scoring a lot of goals it puts the pressure on a player like saka who wants to be the best that he can be so i i think you've got to um look at that as a positive thing and not something to push put saka down he's he's going to get there it's just a matter of time Exactly. And we have a, a lot of games too. Oh, so absolutely. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for other players to shine. Um, so we got a Jesus goal in the 22nd minute. He does, he has a nice, nice, nice little shot and it's not, yeah. not too much longer before he's, he's back on the scoreboard again. In the 34th <laughs> minute, he comes up big with a, uh, a headed goal from a deflected cross and you know, he's it's, it may be right place, right time, but you, you have to be in the right place and be on top of things. And I think he was, um, you know, our set pieces have looked really dangerous already this season and this was no different. I think they lined him up on the back post and it was maybe a, a bit of luck that it, it deflected towards, towards him there. But again, you have to be in those those dangerous positions or else can't score goals. Exactly. Like I, there's a part of me that like, I love brilliant players scoring brilliant goals, but at the end of the day, they all count the same and having a forward that is in the right place and just puts it in. I'm, I'm a hundred percent behind. Oh, absolutely. Um, he's, he's kind of that type of, guy that you you want Eddie and Kedia to be um as far as he's got that that poacher's instinct but he's also dangerous in multiple areas of the field so it's uh I, I hope that that rubs off on Enkedia so that he can he can find ways to score just like Jesus is so far yeah what's that second goal went in what were you feeling what how were you feeling about the game oh I thought we were gonna coast I really thought they I mean, just based on the on the way that that Lester was playing, I was like, okay, well, this is this is um, maybe a trap, but I, I I'm feeling pretty good about this, and and I probably, oh, I'm certain I I spoke too soon, but it was it was feeling I was feeling pretty positive about everything. Yeah, I mean, I was too, and I I felt like we had such control of the game. At two nil, uh, what do you feel about the uh, the the comeback from uh, from Leicester? Well, I think first off, they you know they were almost given a penalty early. Or I should say in the late in the set, in the first half, you know Jamie Jamie Vardy was doing his thing to try to get his team back into the game. Um, you know it was. Ramsdale put himself in a tough spot by char- charging out, and I, I don't think you can fault him for wanting to shut down Vardy in open field like that. Uh, but Vardy made a meal of a, a very minimal amount of contact. I don't even know if there was contact. It may be slight, but Ramsdale was <sighs> pulling out of the, the challenge, really. And I think it, the, the little nick that Vardy took, he, he 
made the most of it. How is that not a dive, especially when they... Oh, uh, it is. It is. When they uh, reviewed it in VAR. I don't know if as a review they can go back and give a yellow card. I, I'm not sure what the rules on that are. Um, but it, it, it should have been. It absolutely should have been. Because in my mind, again, real speed, it was a little bit different, difficult to see. And that's where I, I doff the cap to the VAR and, and, and getting it correct. But when you look at that VR, it was such a dive. And again, anyone who says that like English players don't dive, you can look at Vardy. That was a just a hundred percent dive to me. And I, I was, I was frustrated because I, you know, like people went back to a uh, Jaka and they called that, talked about that yellow card for the dive and it was good for the game. Da, da, da. But there's other players that are, diving all the time and don't get those yellow cards and Vardy is often one of those players yeah it's it's something they need to make a point of emphasis with specific players who do this stuff all the time I mean Mm -hmm. usually you're looking at those sorts of players in in the preseason I would expect they're looking at the referees are looking at who the who the problem players are and trying to kind of learn about some tendencies and things that they are, are trying to do. And I just don't think you're going to see Harry Kane get called more or Jamie Vardy get called more. These guys get benefit of the doubt more often than not, even though they do pull the same antics that would be considered dangerous play or, um, you know, downright cheating. If you're, if you're throwing your body to the floor for little, little bumps here and there, but you know, it's, it doesn't seem like they're looking to stomp that out of the game via those those types of players. It's going to come yeah. via the Jacques or whoever it is that they've decided are the, the target people. I mean, do not get me started on Harry Kane. Like I could, uh, <laughs> we could do a full two hour podcast about the uh, shit houseery that Harry Kane does that never gets called because he's England captain. Even if it's complaining, I will not do two hours of talk about that man. <laughs> No. <laughs> um, but even though that was that they made that call correctly, and I think it was Mike Dean of all people that was on on the AR that day. So even <laughs> like m- more of a miracle somehow. Yeah. Um, it 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 wasn't long before Lester got on the board. Uh, early in the second second half, they uh, I would say they they forced a tough decision from Saliba, who was not yeah. able to to head head the ball in the right direction and uh, gave them a known goal. And it, it, it them, them scoring was kind of not a big deal. I think most people felt like, Hey, we're two goals up. This isn't, this isn't like a huge thing. And the crowd was actually cheering in support of Saliba mm-hmm. after that, that mistake. And I don't, I, I, I know that it would not have happened a couple seasons ago. And yeah. You know, I think when you look at a player who's as young as he is coming into uh, a team that is kind of established and trying to um, work his way into the starting lineup to feel comfortable after coming back from loan to really make a statement that he deserves to be here. uh, Those little mistakes could eat away at a, a young player, but 
first of all, I think he he seems like a very composed person and not somebody who's going to be um, deterred by that sort of thing. But the fact that the the fans got behind him so quickly and so emphatically, I think really says a lot about where the team is, where the fans are, and just that they really are, are behind this this player. And, and he has, um, outside of that one mistake, really shown that he's a, 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 a potentially generational talent, at least in his position. So um, it's... It's going to take a lot for the fans to turn on him. I think he's he's one for the future. He's one for you know right now. I think he's he's played amazingly outside of that that one own goal. So if he can continue on the trajectory he was on, I think that the nobody will look back on this with with any any thought at, at after a few more games. I have I have two points to say about this, which is one as a defender in my playing career career. I say that with quotation marks, but uh, <laughs> uh, I've scored three goals, two of them own goals, and one of them <laughs> not an own goal. That is just the part of being a defender. You're going to score own goals, and it just happens. But it, I don't see Saliba in his play here at Arsenal as being prone to that. It's just It really just does happen. You're trying to intercept balls and head balls, and yeah, he could have done better on that 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 ball in but it just it really just does happen so like i'm not mad at him at all and one of the things i think is great is that since the emery era we've as fans had a reset and you know i i would like to say that me and you have not been the uh, most vociferous <laughs> sack everybody the world's burning you know, people that have been talking about the game. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone at this club is on board with the, uh, you know, the project. And I think we all get it. And as you said, Saliba is a generational talent. He's going to be playing in the World Cup for France, who is one of the teams that is likely to win it. And he, is a player that's going to be great. And to see the fans realize that, that it's just more than just this moment and you don't have to boo him and more than not boo him. You can sing the song and support him. It goes a long way. And it, it it also goes a long way for, you know, when his contract is up, which is coming up fairly soon, actually, it means that, he knows that he has a home here and that, that there's more than just financial reasons to stay here. So it, I think it was a, a huge moment and we're not going to see, I may eat my words, but we're not going to see a lot more of own goals from Saliba. I think we're going to see a lot more of the defensive prowess that he has and the uh, abilities that he has. And you can focus on the positives on that. Yeah, I think that it's it's a different mentality from the team and the crowd right now, and so it's it's really exciting to see the t- the just the, the change in the culture and that 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 has come out in the way that it has in this situation and and just in the the fans general the atmosphere that they're providing. It seems like there's just more fun and lightheartedness in in the 
fans right now than we've seen in a long time. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all excited just to see Arsenal play and see Arsenal play in front of fans. And I think we went through a period of being eighth place in the Premier League. We went through a period where we the worst, not the worst, worst, but the worst has happened and the bad things have happened. And we can come back from that and just be excited about the team. And I think seeing the fan reaction to that own goal is an exact, a great example of that. I think maybe my favorite aspect of this game is that every time Lester got a foothold in it, the team, the, the Arsenal team answered and squashed any hope that they had. <laughs> um, because it was only two minutes later in the 54th that uh, Xhaka, of all people, comes up comes up with a an an, an answer to that goal, and and restores the two goal lead. Which I you know the the fact the fact that we had a two goal lead in the first place is pretty amazing. That the fact that we were able to get it back again, doubly amazing. The fact that we were able to do it one more time in this game is even more so. But it's it I, I like the resilience and the uh push to go get more out of this game. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm ready for that to be the attitude going forward. Cause I don't think that they, um, they should ever take their foot off the gas. And I feel like that's been a problem, um, with this team for, for a few years is that they've gotten leads and then kind of gotten a little passive in this. That was not evident in this game. It was like, they were always ready to go get another one. I do think that in Arsenal's seasons past, the last, like, I was going to say three, four, but it's probably more than that, that uh, once we've gotten behind, once we've gotten on the back foot, it felt inevitable that we're going to concede more and it felt inevitable that we're going to draw or lose that game. And it really does feel with this team that even if there's some adversity, adversity, we're going to come back and we are going to win this game. Like I eat when it goes two two, we're going to score that goal, you know? And I, I haven't had that belief for quite some time and it feels very nice. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, uh, uh, another notch in the, the masterclass that, uh, Jesus put on in here in this game because not only did he have two goals, he had two assists. And this was just I'm I'm sad that he was not able to get his hat trick, but the the fact that he went two and two in this game is just I mean, you can't ask for more from your new player. Exactly. And you know hat tricks are nice, but they're all just like number points. But the fact that he's been so involved in it, like I don't know how much more we can talk about Jesus. Cause like <laughs> we've said it all. He's, he's coming in here. He's invigorated the team. He's show, he has a championship mentality and there's something about him in the team that we haven't seen in quite some time. And I know Aubameyang was a great, wonderful talent and we were all sparkling when he first came to the team, but I don't think you have that same, level of just 
excitement and knowing that he's all in. Yeah. And we had talked a little bit about Jaka's involvement in the final third and how surprising it's been. And this is really just the culmination of how it's, how he's looked in the past couple games. I mean, he's, uh, he's just, he's in a position that he hasn't been in before. He doesn't score this goal without being in the six yard box. I, I, he was the, the right place for Jesus to, to poke it out to him when, uh, the keeper kind of fumbled the ball and the, the timing of a midfielder, the, the ability to take advantage of, of space and opportunity is really important. Um, both, and I, I think it, like I said before, it's something that has been afforded to him by the players behind him, and just the way that the team is defending as a group now. He can, he can be in those positions because he is, he's able to um, not have to worry as much. I mean, he's got Zinchenko kind of really covering the space he would normally have yeah. to tuck into, um, and and Zinchenko is able to create so much from where he's at too. So. He does. It just provides such a different look from what we're used to on that left side when Tierney's in there, when um, Xhaka has to stay home a little bit more. This is very uh, aggressive, and and the team is pushing pushing forward pretty much the whole game. I mean, we're talking about midway or, or getting into the second half, and they're still putting that sort of pressure on on Leicester. That's exactly i think what i would think arteta wants to do in 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 every game and and try to force teams to react and defend from the beginning to the end of the game so that you know you're just wearing these teams down and it this is this is a, a great example of like forcing mistakes and 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 putting the pressure on the other team so if they can continue to do that and and continue to have that high press for 90 minutes each game, uh, it, it's going to be hard for any team to stay stay in it. And I think when you're seeing players like Xhaka get opportunities, it, it says a lot about where, um, you know, or what, what kind of opportunities other players are going to get throughout the season as well. Yeah, and maybe I'm going to lose a couple, couple of our listeners on this and be upsetting to them, but the way Jaka is playing reminds me a lot of how peak Frank Lampard played for Chelsea. And it's just that like midfielder that becomes a threat out of the midfield. And if you can get the uh, goal return that uh, Frank Lampard did for that uh, peak Chelsea team, we're, we're, we're going to go places, you know? Absolutely. I, you know, I don't think it's, we should be ashamed of comparing our players to quality players from other teams. I think their quality stands for itself, whether they played for Chelsea or whoever, uh, Chelsea Spurs, Liverpool, you know, a quality player is a quality player. So I don't think you should feel bad about making those sort of comparisons. You know, when you're, when you hear, um, Saliba compared to Ferdinand or Van Dyke, I'm not like, Oh, cringe you know it's like oh that's that's actually a big compliment unless it's spurs i do not ever compare <laughs> not, i mean really they don't have any quality players to yeah, compare to but just, just saying in general if there was <laughs> a quality player there um yeah so 
it it wasn't without a little bit more drama in this game because uh Madison gets Lester back back into it with what uh I I'm sure the the Ramsdale doubters will will definitely point to this goal and be like see he is not up to it but I don't know yes it's stoppable yes you don't want to let a goal goal in through your legs you don't want to you don't want to see that happen, and I'm sure, based on how I've seen him uh, react to not getting clean sheets in <laughs> the All or Nothing documentary, I think um, he's going to be kicking himself over that that goal for a bit. I sure, like I I, I do not blame Ransdale for that goal. It, it it that sort of thing happens, and you know, as a goalie, you don't want to go let it go between your legs, but how many like defenders let balls go through the leg? Like as a goal, you're trying to make yourself big, but there's only so many, you know, gaps you can control with the, the human body. It'd be mm-hmm. great if you were a big, like circular blob that could like do all that. Uh, I, I, I really don't like when I, I watched the game and I was like, all right, that goal went in and I wasn't blaming Ramsdale. And then I saw like when I was, you know, peeking online, which one should never do. And I would see all these people blaming him for getting the, the five hole goal. I'm like, I was just like actually shocked. I'm like, yeah, that's, it happens to a keeper and it will happen. I'm sure this year there'll be more goals that go between his legs. Like, but that's not necessarily the keeper's problem. He only has so much body shape to do. Yeah, I I wouldn't uh I wouldn't blame him too much for that. It it, it just is what it is and it, it's at pace, you know. It's not like he slow rolled it between his legs yeah. or anything. But the again, the maybe the best part about this game was that even it, it they give you zero time to feel bad about <laughs> about these goals because just moments later uh Martinelli creates a turnover in, in midfield and passes it up to, to Jesus who returns the favor and, and sets Martinelli up uh, with his second assist and Martinelli's second goal of the season. And man, I, I, he is so fun to watch. I mean, if we yeah. didn't have Jesus in this team, I don't know how he would be playing. I'm sure he would be doing well on his own, but it just the fact that they are so clu- uh, keyed into each other. Um, it's it's such fun to watch. And in when we've had those great partnerships, when we've seen like the Ozil to Sanchez connection, like that sort of thing, where you you have players that really click and are looking for each other, that can be really really entertaining and a, a difficult tandem to stop down that left hand side. They just look so dangerous throughout the whole game. I love that you used uh, Azul to uh, Sanchez because, like the the one that I remembered was uh, Henri to Perez, mm-hmm. and it really does. Like again, like I'm not trying to. It's two games in. I'm putting all the asterisks and footnotes I can on this. Like there's gonna be harder times, yada yada. <laughs> but Jesus and Martinelli looks like a great partnership, and it looks like some of these partnerships of old. And I'm so excited about it. And when you see that goal, 
it's not going to be the last one that they do that. It's not going to be the last time that they link up and it's, it's a good harbinger for uh, things to come. And I, I keep reminding myself that this is a team that has not seen much of Tommy Asu or, T- or Tierney yet. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this, we're playing with two outside packs that we did not play with really last season. Um, and then you, we have not seen uh, Emil Smith Rowe come in yet. We've not, we don't even know what Bob uh, Vera is going to bring. So there's, there's even more pieces and more depth and more things that can um, expand what this team can do. I'm very, I'm very curious to see what some of these rotational pieces can bring to the table once they get up to speed. Um, just as difference, dif- difference makers off the bench and, um, you know, you can tap into different things. I think Arteta was alluding to when, when Jaka's playing that, that eight role, it's going to be way different when Vieira's playing in that role. And I was like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're very different body types, very different styles of players. So you're going to see different combinations appear that we haven't really gotten to explore yet. So I'm very excited for some of the other opportunities that can come when, when our, our team is fully healthy once again. Yeah. And the other thing with the Europa league, we're going to have the minutes too, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't feel like this team at this point is going to be precious about it in the way that, I don't think people are going to be pissed off that they're not getting minutes because they know that they're going to get minutes. And, you know, our center back thing right now with Saliba coming into the team, you know, White may be mad that he's not getting center back minutes, but we all know he's going to get center back minutes and he's going to have his time to shine. And it's, it's that idea of competition for places in not a bad way and everyone's going to get their minutes and everyone's going to get their opportunity to shine. And if they don't shine, that's on them. And I'm, I'm just, I feel like there's a, a very positive way this season's going to go just with the players like that. They they're they're Everyone's going to get their minutes. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about Pepe later, but you know, even he may get some minutes, you know? Absolutely. I think we'll, have to wait and see what happens with some of these guys, but for the players that stick around, I think there's room there's room for lots of improvement and and minutes to go around to get that you know to to raise the level of those players even if they are aren't seeing first team minutes so it, it's gonna be exciting to see this this group grow and I'm still curious to see if they're gonna bring anybody else in. I think that's still a possibility, so we'll have to see what else they can ad in the last uh, couple weeks of the window here yeah um bournemouth uh on the weekend saturday we've got uh you know a team that can um i don't know it could be a trap game but i I, you know looking at arsenal's last six games against them it's uh pretty much been a one-sided affair so i'm not super concerned based on the the uh form that we've been on and I, I, I'm expecting multiple goals again. Like the way they've been playing, I'm two to three goals does not seem out of the, out of the uh, picture here. I mean, for me, I'm never always a hundred percent confident in Arsenal. I've been an Arsenal fan way too long <laughs> to be like, but 
I think it, this is a game that if we have any pretensions of being a top tier team, we need to just win. And like, whether it's, you know, three nil or two one or even one nil, like we just need to grind this game out in, to be honest, I don't know a ton about this Bournemouth team because they just came up or, and I'm not super familiar with their, their, their team, but it's a, Arsenal is a better team. And I don't mean to be all due respect to every Bournemouth fan. <laughs> and I, you, we can clip this out next week when uh, we lose to them or whatever, but <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. It'll be in the world. You just got to yeah. own it. But it is a team that we should beat if we have any pretensions of of uh, being a top tier team. And so, and I also think we are a top tier team. So I think it's a, you know, it, it's a good bellwether. Like it's a good, good way to know where the season's going. And it's not obviously going to be a make or break game for the season. Yada, yada, yada. But these are the points we need to collect. Yeah, it, I think. It, when you're looking at the the teams that are in front of us right now, you you expect to get a good chunk of points from the games that are ahead of us. We've got, you know, very winnable run of games here with Bournemouth coming up, Fulham, um Villa could could be challenging. Man United's a um <laughs> a roll of the dice. I don't know where they're going to be at. Oh, I can't wait to talk weeks. about that game. But yes. But, yeah, I mean, and then Everton, Brentford. Man, I don't know what to think about Brentford. But by the time September 18th rolls around, we're going to know a lot about Arsenal. And we're going to know a lot more about some of these other teams. But Bournemouth and Fulham look like very winnable games in the next couple weeks. So it, it's it it's a chance to come out and really bank 12 points 15 points and have a good you know a good base to build from i don't think you can um let any points go in the first part of the season you want to go into this break with with into the world cup break with a good run behind you and ready something to launch you into that second half of the season because it's definitely going to be challenging yeah, and I mean, that's one of the things we have to keep in mind is that, like, I think the second half of the season after the World Cup is going to be a very different season. And we're going to have a lot of players very tired playing a lot of games in a compact time. So it's not a must-win game, obviously. It's, it's the third game of the season. There's no must-win must games. But we we need to be banking these points. We need to be showing. and off of the uh, last two games, I can be, I, I feel like I can be very confident about this game. I feel we're going to score goals and our defense is feeling very solid. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think we're going to score more goals than the other team does. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, I think, I think that is true. Um, I just want to touch on a couple of transfer things before we take a break here. Um, Last couple of days, a couple of things have come up that are interesting to say the least. Uh, Rob Holding is apparently on uh, Villa's radar uh, as mm-hmm. a potential emergency signing since they had a center back injury, it sounds like. Um, 
I think if that opportunity came up, that is one position where I could see us cashing in. And I think he could command a, a good price being English and young and full of potential and just kind of, uh, I, I feel like I, I really would love him to stick around, but he's probably not going to see the minutes that, um, that he would probably want at this point in his career. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point in the transfer window, you have to, we have to sell players at some point. And I like Rob holding. I really do. And I think he's been a great servant to the club, but I would not hate to see him go. You know, I, I think if we can get a good price for him, it's a, a, a good deal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the other one I didn't put on our notes that was interesting to me was that West Ham were potentially looking at, uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who's another player that needs to find a, another home, I think. Um, so if we could cash in on him before his contract is up, that would be good. But um, he's one of those ones that we haven't really done much with. So I would I could see him going for cheap or going out on loan. You know, I, I don't see us getting a ton of money out of him, per se. Um and the other one we're probably going to have to take a hit on and one that we just need to get off the books is is Pepe. And it sounds like uh, Nice have been sniffing around a, a potential return to France for Pepe. And that's another one I think would be a loan situation where we could just get his salary covered and get get that space cleared up. And at the very least, if we can get him out the door... I think that would open things up for another signing in that in that position because it sounds like um, Reese Nelson is dealing with an injury now, and there's just really not that is one position where we just don't have a ton of depth on that side. So um, somebody with potential to back up Saka would be ideal, I think. And I, I would expect if they're going to sign anybody, it's going to be in that position. Yeah, I mean it's interesting with Pepe because I think. He is the player that could benefit the most from our current setup in that the pressure is off him. I, I, I don't think anyone is expecting him to do great things anymore. And if the pressure is off of him and he is just a rotational squad player, uh, I think good things could come. But, you know, again, we have to sell these players and get the wages off the book. So I... I I wouldn't be too upset seeing him go away. The one thing I would say is he has been killer in Europa League for us in the past. So if he stuck around and just got Europa League minutes, I think he could do some damage. Player he just seems to play really well there. He was your player of the season two years ago, right? Yeah, I mean, he killed it in the Europa League. I think he kept us into in that tournament way, way longer than... We could, we should have been. I mean, I think he's he, he single handedly was doing a lot of the goal scoring for us. So, um, I, you know, I don't know if he's going to reach those heights again, especially after not being uh, involved as much. I think he's probably got a little rust on him, so it might take him some time to get get his feet under him again. But if he had, if he did end up going on loan, I would expect that's that's a position we could upgrade. So I would. I would take an upgrade and uh, a player with more potential 
then continue to try to run out Pepe and see if he can get ring more from that player. I just yeah. don't don't know that we're gonna see much better than we saw a couple couple seasons ago. Yeah, I mean, once we leave, we can do a post post mortem on him because I don't. I think. <sighs> I think his price tag was such a uh, millstone around his neck and he was never worth the money we paid for him, but I don't think he's a horrible player. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully they can find a, a home for him and a couple other players that are on the fringes right now. And uh, if they can make a signing or two, I'm I'm excited for it because the the signings that they have made have been fantastic so far. And that's that's saying a lot without even seeing Vieira play much although I did see some highlights from the under 21s game that he played in today and man that guy's got a nice touch he he can he can put some nice weight on a pass and and find some runs and I I'm really excited to see what he can bring so that that being said I think they've had a really good track record so far of their signings so if they if they were able to go out and get something done you know it's going to be something decent because it doesn't seem like they're willing to make any compromises at this point. I mean, like I know we're trying to get to break, but I, the last thing I'll say about the transfer window is I'm like, if it ended today and nothing else happened, I'm very satisfied with this transfer window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that if, if they looked at the transfer market and said, Nope, we've done all we could. I would, I would wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Cause I, I, I trust their judgment at this point, And I think that what we have is definitely competitive. Um, okay. I think that's a great place to take a break for right now. And when we come back, we'll answer a couple of your questions. So stick with us. We'll be back in a moment. All right. Welcome back from the break. We've got some questions from you guys. And if you want to send us questions and be part of this conversation, you can do so by sending us stuff on Twitter uh, at W of N London or emailing us at West of North London at gmail.com. We've got voicemail at anchor.fm slash West of North London slash message. And of course, you can join us on our Discord, which we have a link to in our show notes. So lots of ways to get us questions. And you can be like these guys, uh, like Jonathan King Monilas, who says, how nice is it to have the drama everywhere else in the league ex- instead of with us? <laughs> I mean, the easy answer is it's so nice. Um, we've been the uh, fairly wrong or unfairly uh, the butt of a lot of jokes in the Premier League for the last like three years. And it's, it is very nice to not be the butt of those jokes, but I, you know, all joking aside, all uh, <laughs> moving on from it. I think, I mean, the elephant in the room is Manchester United and how bad they're playing and how bad their squad is constructed right now. When everyone was talking about trust the the uh, the, the the process, and once we got Arteta in, and there's a year and a half or so of you know less than ideal results. And, you know, again, this can change very quickly. So get your shout out Freud in now, but you look at Man United and they've been a poorly run club for 
since Alex Ferguson left and they just, you know, threw money in with no idea what they're doing. Man United is a player I talk about or a team I talk about all the time where players go to die. I mean, Pogba is a great example of he's a world-class player. He was a world-class player before he left Man U. He went in and was in a coherent system and he could play amazing soccer as a World Cup winning player, goes back to Man U and dies out there. And I, I assure you, now that he's gone, he's going to be another, again, a world-class player. And it's just a foil we can look at in our system in which we had some bad years. We had to get rid of some fucking horrible contracts and some horrible signings, but we have a direction we're going. And that's when I'm laughing at Man U, I'm looking at it as... You know, even if this fails, even if, even if we actually finish horribly and don't have a good season, at least there's a coherent plan. And when you look at Menu and you look at actually Chelsea as another team that even though they've had some interesting results or whatever, they don't have a system. They don't have a plan. They don't have a direction. It's just literally throwing money into a, a hole and hoping these players come good. And I'm okay with that yeah i think you can and you don't have to look far to see some of the frustrations and and things playing out on the field i mean like the fact that both coaches in the spurs chelsea game <laughs> ended up getting red cards and they ended up tying the game and oh, that was just beautiful beautiful implosion and i I, you know, I, I, I really enjoy seeing Manu fall apart and I think they deserve everything that they get. Um, especially I think as soon as they, they tied, tied their fate to Ronaldo, I was just like, okay, you, you know what this means and you're going to, you're going to have to pay for it one way or the other. That was such a horrible signing. Like I, I know we're not a Manu, we're not a Premier League con podcast or a, uh, Manu podcast. Uh, that was I saw that from a fucking mile away. You should never return. You should never try and buy this player and think that, yeah, he was the Leeds goal scorer, but he's not a, a a positive influence on that team. And he's not the direction you can go. It was like you bought him for maybe a glory of a season. And you can tell now that he's done with it. it oh, Manu is a fucking shit show. And it's, it's, it is nice to see. But I, I am equally, if not more, there for a Chelsea implosion. Hmm. Um, mostly because I don't think they they paid paid enough of a price for having a, a oligarch at, at at the helm for years and years and years yes. that totally screwed up the financial system of the Premier League. And you know, for them to just kind of be walking on eggshells for half a season while that got sorted out doesn't seem like enough punishment for that. So. If they have to deal with some growing pains and have um, have to continue their coaching carousel as they shuffle through players and just look aimless for a couple seasons, I am all for that, and they deserve that. They deserve more than that, but you know, we'll ha have to see how this plays out. I don't <sighs> think they're going to be nearly as bad in as bad a shape as Manu, but it, it's it's looking a little iffy for them as well. I mean don't get me started on economics and the premier league. Cause I don't like any of the ownership in general, including the Cronkies. I don't, 
I do not have a, a, a love for our ownership. I think it's the, the Premier League is all sorts of fucked up as far as uh, economics go. There, there's no good ownership. Cronkies are bad, just maybe less bad than Russian oligarchs. But then you have state-owned teams like Man City and Newcastle. Uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot going wrong with it. And, you know, I'm very much about pointing out the Russian ownership, but there, there's some uh, shit that stinks in our own house about that. So I'm not going <laughs> to maybe go too deep into that, but. Yeah. Oligarchs by another name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I, if, if, if Tottenham's going to implode, if, if Chelsea's going to implode, if these teams are just going to continue to struggle, I'm, I'm here for the show. It's, it's the kind of drama I'd like to see after going through so much of it with Arsenal. I think it would be nice to be, um, just an audience member. Yes. Enjoying the show rather than in the, in the middle of it. And, you know, like I conspicuously left out Tottenham in that conversation because I I don't think they're imploding the same way that like Chelsea and Man U will. I think, we I take off my uh, Arsenal glasses for a second and I I, I fucking hate Tottenham. Do not get me wrong. But I don't think they're in that same discussion because I actually do think they recruited well. And I think they're going to be a difficult team to to break down. They're probably the team that we're in the most competition for as far as that fourth spot in Champions League goes. But, you know, Chelsea is going to be a shit show this year. I mean, like, their recruiting is horrible. Tuchel is going to blow up. That's what he does. I mean, and Conte is going to blow up at some point for uh, for Tottenham as well. And it's going to be awesome to see. But I don't think it's going to be this year. And I think Tuchel is going to have a hard time. They didn't, as I said, they didn't recruit well. The ownership doesn't know what they're doing. It's a baseball guy trying to uh, recruit soccer players and just literally doesn't know what he's doing. So I think those are the two teams, but I think far and ahead is menu is, I just can't see a way out for menu at this point. They're going to have to go through the tough times that we did, but I don't think their ownership is willing to let go of things and do, do things like our team did that are tough, like the Obama Yang thing and just, or the Azul thing letting players go losing a shit ton of money. Let's let's not forget that, you know, we lost a shit ton of money on both those players and other players to boot, but we came up with a plan and did it. I think menu is just going to throw money into a hole and hope that like somehow that makes it work. There's a couple Arsenal related mistakes that I see that I'm just, I, I'm, I'm chuckling because of the bullets we dodged in the, bullets that these other teams are about to take on um first of all playing or buying Sandro Martinez for <laughs> over 50 million and playing him as a center back <laughs> is just the dumbest thing I've ever heard especially now that you've seen it on the field because it just doesn't look right and it's like you, you guys didn't figure out the scouting report was saying he was not gonna ma- match up well in the Premier League I mean I think everybody saw that coming yeah. that he was not a center back in the premier league friend of the pod uh jonathan uh, Monilas will 
be on my side, which is like, I watch a fair amount of the Eredivisie and he's a great player in that league, but like you, everyone knows he's not going to be a great player in the Premier League. It's a, a, a well different league and that defending it like you do need a little bit of height and you need a little bit of body and that player is not going to uh, make it in the Premier League. Please cut this and uh, stitch it when he's the defender of the year, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, he just needs to get, grow a foot, and then he'll be in, in that mix, I'm sure. Um, the other one, though, that I, I'm curious to see if it comes to fruition, but it sounds like Chelsea are in for a Bobby Yang, and I'm like, I mean, Tuchel, you, you've done this before. You, yeah. know, you know exactly what he's all about and what he is capable of doing or not doing. So I, if, they, if they go through with that, that is, he has put on the rosy-colored glasses as far as what... what Aubameyang has done in the past with oh, him and without him. I I would love to see that. I I mean, as I said, like the uh, again, I could be wrong. At whatever, I'm going to couch the, the this with asterisks. But at this point, Chelsea just literally doesn't have soccer people who know what they're doing involved, and they're making financial decisions. And I think they're going to be very very wrong. The crazy part is Barcelona is probably going to make a little bit of money <laughs> I mean, from that. I like going far afield. I think Barcelona is so fucked in the next like three years. Like it's, it's insane. They're, they should be right now. That's the crazy part. They have, they always find a way to kick that can down the road. They're kicking the can down the road, but they're like that can is going to hit. Like they're, they're putting everything on this season. And even if they win Champions League, which they're not going to because Bayern is going to win Champions League this year. But uh, even if they don't win Champions League, they're they're fucked. They they just spent all their future revenue on this team. And I don't know, like they they talk about their levers that they're going to pull. I don't they have no levers left. And once these they bought a bunch of old players. I could really go off on Barcelona and I'm not going to, cause that's well past the, uh, the scope, but like Lewandowski is not going to be their player or the player. He is two years down the road. I don't understand what the point, I mean, they're by their own admission. They are capped with how much they can stand to make yeah. even with champions league money, even by winning it, they know that they cannot support themselves. So, that was the whole point behind the breakaway league was to try to get capture more of those funds was to try to find a way outside of La Liga to make money because they couldn't, they couldn't support their own, their own spending. And yet knowing that they are still in champions league, that there's no breakaway league at this point in time, they're still doubling and even I would say tripling down on some of these things in a vain attempt to stay at the top of the game, even though they know they will never recoup that money and they're digging this hole deeper and wider because it's going to affect them for years down the road. And I don't know if they even care. They sold their media rights for the next 25 years. Comprehend that. 25 years in which they are going to get, I think it was 51% only of their media rights. That's insane. Yeah. 
I, I don't I don't understand the decision making there at all. Well unless they're just hedging that by the time you know they get a few years down the road that this other league comes to pass and they're able to make a bunch of money from those media rights because they'll be attached to a, a different product. But but then that's the, that's a stretch. But then they're competing with the teams like Bayern or Arsenal that control a hundred percent of their median rate, so they're not going to be able to compete in that league. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it, sorry, like, again, this is not a, a general soccer podcast, but I have no idea what Barcelona is doing. Uh, you don't, you don't have to hold back on my behalf. We should, if it comes to you, you can speak it. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of speaking, uh, Grenil, uh, Misquith, do you like that uh, transition? I don't think that worked, but uh, Grenil. <laughs> Speaking of speaking, I like that. Grinnell uh, asks us, how excited are you about Arsenal's performance in the last two games? Do we trust the process and appreciate what we do in our Tuda or, or Tuda or Teta has been doing? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. I think when, you know, when you're looking at what other teams are doing, you have to really appreciate that although times have been slightly tough and you had to scratch your head when they didn't make um any signings in the january window um i do appreciate that they're not just throwing out the baby with the bathwater here and and going after any old signing they're not making some of these rookie mistakes that these more established teams are are making i mean these are teams that should know better but it's it's Arteta and Adu who really, in the scale of things, have a lot less experience on this uh, level of, of the sport, and yet they seem to understand better what is required when it comes to rebuilding a team, uh, maintaining a team. And I, I think with all of the... Uh, um, I'm going to tie into Grinnell's second question here because he, he talks about... Um, the transfer strategy, you know, when when you're looking at some of the uh, contracts that we've had to cancel and the things that we've had to do to rid ourselves of some players, those look like good, sound decisions when you um, kind of look at this broader scope that other teams are, seem to be struggling with. Uh, sometimes you are going to have to kind of cut cut ties with the past and and move forward. In, in order to move forward. And I think that is, that is a difficult thing to wrap your head around as a, as a old boy in the, in the uh, premier league. It's, it's difficult to go back to the drawing board and go back to square one and try to build something from scratch. And, and it, it wasn't like they had to tear Arsenal down to the studs, but they did have to go back to what makes Arsenal arsenal and that they've identified the cultural deficiencies and really rooted out some of those players that didn't live up to what they believed arsenal should represent so if you're look if you're setting a standard if you're looking at some of these other teams if you were to compare the modern menu to the sir alex ferguson teams it, they're a far cry from that, right? You you had a mm-hmm. lot of stars in in those older Man U teams, and 
he was able to keep the harmony. He was able to find balance. He was able to get really good performances from a lot of different places. And it's not easy to um, replicate that level of coaching, but there was some semblance of a plan. And um, you, you have to have that sort of holistic approach when you're building a team. It can't just be bringing all the stars. That works sometimes and you can make that work a lot longer if you continue to throw money at it but for a team to be we'll say semi-sustainable because i think you cannot really survive without some influx of money from from ownership but uh for a team to be um somewhat sustainable you have to be able to buy young and and, and invest in in players that will have potential returns down the road. And I think one of the things that Arsenal had to learn the hard way was um, what, what players not to sign, what, what, where you, you, you just couldn't make mistakes and, and throw away money anymore. And so some of these contracts that they've had to cut loose are, are the, the tough lessons that we've had to learn. And, and some of those mistakes you got to pay for. And I think that they've, kind of gotten over some of those big humps, especially with those players that were not just financial burdens, but were also personality burdens and, and and players that took away from the team in the end, even though they um, looked good on paper with their statistics, when it came down to the personalities and the people that they were in the locker room, it really ended up being a net negative. And I think you have to have that sort of viewpoint that it's not always about what a player can do for your team um, based on statistics and and technical quality. It's, it is the person that they are and the type of player that they can be within that team. And when you're looking at individual stars and not as a, at a a team, when you're building, building these uh, franchises, you cannot, you cannot discount what they're, what they're bringing personality wise. You have to look at it and and be a little bit longer th- uh longer term in your thinking and i think that adu and arteta are on the same page as far as making those sorts of, sorts of long-term decisions that are going to set up arsenal to be successful for years to come and not just right now i think it is it has been a slow process and we're starting to see that come together but it's it's not even close to where it's going to be once they start getting this um the returns on these investments now. I mean, you've kind of touched on it briefly, but I'm going to just ask you very directly. What do you think is the difference between the Mislin tap era and the Adu era? What is the, uh, the, the big difference in strategy? Um, I think, like I said, like Mislin tap was great at finding these, statistical outliers and these players that that you know had quality that were being overlooked and that's that is a great way to bring in players and and i think that can work for some teams but for what arsenal is trying to do now with a cultural rebuild it can't just be about the statistics all of the stat dna data that they have available to them cannot make up for um, what you can get from 
talking to a player and understanding what they're all about. And Adu has said as much. He is very much about what the personality of the player is. And if they if he sits down with them and feels like they're more in it for the money than the love of the game or, you know, the, the going out winning, like there are certain things that he's looking for from these players that uh, is just things you can't capture in the data. So I think that to me is the, is the big difference is he, he, he seems to have an understanding both of what Arteta wants, what Arsenal is and what this team needs to be going forward. And so bringing all those things together, it's, you have to have an understanding of um, some of those things that are not easily quantifiable, but it, once you've tapped into what you're trying to do and what fits the mold of what you're trying to do, uh, I think he's he's got just a good idea of what's going to work going forward. And Arteta's been very clear about what he needs. So I think those two things coming together have really combined well. And um, I think it's just a matter of time until we see, see that pay off uh, with, I think, what looks to be a very solid team missing maybe one or two pieces there to put them over the top. What do you what do you think about uh, their their performance so far as far as the transformation of this team? I mean, I think it's radical, and I think you can really draw a line. I was I was very skeptical about Adu when he first came in, and I'm not going to lie about that. I'm still a little bit worried about his connections to agents and things like that. Uh, that can be difficult. But I think Mislintap brought in players that just weren't fitting the team. There was like it was it really was about statistics and trying to jam these players together. Whereas I think Adu, with the help of Arteta, and I think that it's good that they have a working relationship that they probably had as Arsenal players. Uh really has brought a more holistic team. This team that we have now is the most holistic team we've had since we've done this podcast. And I think probably before we did this podcast and I'm all for it. I mean, like it definitely has a a Brazilian bent to it, a Portuguese speaking bent to it, which is, is fine. But I think that's the uh, the the biggest difference is it's not just like bringing players that have statistics together and trying to make it work. It's trying to find players that work well together and have the right attitude and have the Arsenal way. Like you know, there is something to be an Arsenal player, and it's not just goals scored or expected goals or whatever. There is something else there, and I think Adu is tapping into that. Yeah, I think when you're talking about what uh, Adu brings to it, it's just that an understanding of what Arsenal was. I mean, he mm-hmm. was—he's been around for uh, oh—he's <clears throat> been around the game for a while, but he's also been around Arsenal when they were at their best. So it, it's—it's that not not only is he tapped into different um, players, like with the you know with the Brazilian national team, he's got a lot of connections through that, but also just understanding Arsenal and and having that connection to all the former players there I think that he's just 
connected to the team in a way that you don't see from a lot of players, a lot of people in his position, um, you know, who have worked their way up the ranks and are now running the team that they used to play for. That's pretty rare. Um, I, th I think that about wraps us up for this week. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we didn't cover, but uh, the, I think we're going to come back and kind of wrap up all or nothing next week because the final two episodes come out tonight. Yep. I think I'm literally going to get off this podcast and watch them. That's my uh, plans. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to say let's, let's wrap up that, uh, that show after it's all finished and we can have some more, uh, time to talk through it. And then I think that that'll be better off once we've seen the whole thing at this point. Um, so I will say that is it for us this week. Thank you all for, for joining us. And if you haven't done so, review and subscribe wherever you're listening to us right now. Uh, if you liked our theme song, it's from Bobcat. Their website is bobc.at. Go check them out there. And I think that should do it. So as always, see you at the next gun show.